We are in the book of Isaiah. Um, we're going to be in the book of Isaiah for a long time. Uh, but we have scripture journals. If you'd like one of those, we got our second kind of wave of them in. So if you missed them the first round, we've got them on the back table. Uh, they're just, they look like Bibles and they're just the book of Isaiah um, that have some note pages on each, on every other page. So you can follow along with the text and take notes if you'd like to do that. So we've got a handful or, or so back there for you. Um, and if those all go away, I'll buy a third round, I guess, because we'll just eventually, you know, keep, eventually we'll, we'll catch up. But yeah, so if you need one, grab one. Uh, and then um, we have just a couple things. We have um, a cleaning sign up for this building here uh, in the back. If you're willing and able to uh, clean once every however often you want, really. It's just kind of up to you, but uh, there's no set amount of time that you have to do it. But we would just ask that you'd come in once a week at some point between Sundays, clean up, and we'd, we'll give you all the instructions on how to do that or what we would like. But if that interests you, if you'd like to help us out with that, there's a sign up and back for different dates that are open. So you can sign up for the dates that work for you. And then um, in just a week and a half or so, we have a Acts 29 uh, Rural Collective Summit is what it's called, but it's a one-day pastors and church leaders uh, conference for, and anybody's welcome to come, of course, you don't have to be a pastor or a church leader to attend, but generally that's what it's marketed to here. And we're going to have, um, you know, maybe 50 or 60 people coming out here for uh, that day uh, to, to open up the Bible together, to be encouraged in, in ministry together. So there's a uh, sign-up sheet in the back for that only because we're, we're going to be providing them lunch. And we're looking for, we kind of have the main thing figured out, uh, but we're looking for sides, we're looking for salads or soup or whatever you want to make, uh, dessert of any kind, whatever you want to do. If you're willing and able on that day, it's October 2nd, it's a Wednesday, uh, to either bring what you'd like to share uh, on that day or you can come and help out uh, with lunch or you can come and volunteer for the, the day with some other things we have too. But if you're interested in, in providing food, uh, you can sign up in the back and let us know what you're going to provide so we can plan. Um, if you want to help, just like be a volunteer and kind of be around to, to do what needs to be done, then just talk with me. Let me know that you're willing to do that. And uh, that'll be great. So that's coming up, not this Wednesday, but the following Wednesday. And we're really excited. It's going to be a great time. So... Um, yeah, and if you'd like to attend, if that's something you're interested in, just hanging out with us for the day and attending, then you're more than welcome to do that. Just let me know so we can kind of figure the numbers. Uh, but yeah, that's, that's definitely a great thing. So there you go. That's all I've got. Basically, the back table has everything that you need to sign up for or find out about. Uh, but there you go. Okay, that's it. If you want to turn to Isaiah 1. Uh, we're going to be in verse 21 through the end of the chapter. We're going to finish chapter 1 today. And so we are, gonna, we are taking Isaiah 1 a little slower than we will a lot of the other parts of the book because Isaiah 1 really does serve as the foundational uh, issue for this whole book. What God is calling his people to uh, is really laid out in chapter 1. And it's laid out really for most of the, the early part of the book, but chapter one is so foundational we wanted to take our time and then we'll start going a little quicker as we get into two and three and, and so on. Uh, but we're going to be in Isaiah 1, 21 to 31. We'll ask you just to have uh, 
a Bible if you want, or you can just sit and listen, whatever you'd like to do. But let me pray for us, and then we'll, we'll get into this. Uh, Jesus, thank you for this uh, word that you've given us. We, we're going to come stand before you and before what you've said to your people, and it's not going to make us look very good. We'll, we know that from the uh, outset here, uh, but we want to see you as good and glorious and as our Savior. So we pray, Father, that you would show us Jesus today through the text, and we would pray that your Spirit would work in our hearts this morning and, and uh, helping us to, to turn from the sin that we may be holding on to, uh, to give to Jesus, or, or to just be encouraged in your great love for us. Whatever we need today, Lord, would you do that? And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Um, so, just as a recap here, Isaiah 1, we've, we've had, this is the third part. And, and what this is, what Isaiah 1 is dealing with is it's helping us get some perspective on who we are and what we need. Um, and, and so it's, it's really not a flattering picture of ourselves. Um, it's, it's a pretty brutal picture of ourselves, actually. And and it's, but it's one that's honest. It's one that we need to hear because we are very quick to believe or to convince ourselves that somehow we can do this by ourselves, that we don't need Jesus, that we can just save ourselves or help ourselves or solve our own problems. And, and what God is repeatedly saying here throughout Isaiah, but particularly chapter one, is that we can't do that. We just have no capability within ourselves because we are outside of Jesus spiritually bankrupt. Uh, we don't have anything to offer him, right? We have, no, we have no righteousness stored up that we can give to him and say, here, I'm going to pay my debts. Um, we're, we're completely bankrupt on that front. And so we need a savior who will come and, and help us. And that's really the whole message that God wants to get across through Isaiah is that God has a heart to save people. He wants to save. He doesn't want to just bring down what we deserve. He wants to give us hope and life and a transformed uh, way of living. And that's, that all happens, we know, through Jesus Christ. As we get through this, we're going to see Jesus becomes very, very clear in this book. It's, it's impossible to miss Jesus in the book of Isaiah because it's so obviously there. And we'll see it very clearly as we get further into the book. Um, but right now, what God's doing is he's just showing us how much we need him. And it's, it is repetitive. And I understand that it is something that you've heard for the last two weeks, and it's probably not like super encouraging, but you, we, we need to keep hearing it. We need to consistently hear that we can't save ourselves. We can't help ourselves. We need him. And so that is uh, really unquestionably the, the point of chapter one, that we do not, we cannot measure up to what we should be. But it also clearly shows us, as we've seen each week, we've seen glimpses of the, the good news that we have in Jesus because he's merciful and he's willing to help. In the first week, we saw in verse 9 that though these people had all this sin in their lives, uh, God was still at work in sparing them from his judgment. And, and so then we saw in uh, the second part, we saw that God is calling his people to come to him, 
to, to be washed clean, to be washed white as snow, uh, that our sin is red, but he's going to wash us white and, and make us clean. And so we've seen, even in the midst of really hard language and, and tough judgment language, we're still seeing uh, hope in all of this. And there, it's there too today. So we're just going to keep seeing it. Um, there, basically, we need to understand that we are not what we should be, but God is still faithful to give us his mercy, his grace, and his kindness, even in the midst of that, as long as we turn to him. As long as we turn to him, that's the key. So uh, let's look at verse 21. Um, Really, 21 through 23, um, this is is just going to keep on keeping on here. uh, We've been called already in chapter one. We've been called rebellious children. We've We've been called Sodom and Gomorrah. And it's just going to keep getting worse. God's just going to keep using worse and worse language to teach us who we are. And, and the point of 21 through 23 is simply this, that outside of the redeeming work of Jesus, we are not and we will never be what we should be. So we're going to see that. We're going to see he's making these comparisons between what we should be and what we actually are. All right, so that's where we're at. Let's look at verse 21 through 23. And uh, I'm using the ESV. Some, of your, some translations uh, tone down the language. The ESV just uses the language that the Hebrew actually means. So that it might come as a shock, and please don't be offended, but I'm just reading the Bible. So here we go. Uh, it says, How the faithful city has become a whore. She who was full of justice, righteousness lodged in her, but now murderers. Your silver has become dross, your best wine mixed with water. Your princes are rebels and companions of thieves. Everyone loves a bribe and runs after gifts. They do not bring justice to the fatherless, and the widow's cause does not come to them. All right, so you see what's happening here, right? You see that he's making these comparisons, First, he talked, says that you, you were a faithful city, you were faithful, and now you're not. And God uses a very strong word to express their unfaithfulness, right? He's talking about adultery. He's talking about just like ab- the absolute desire to cheat on who they should be faithful to. And, and so he says, first, you were supposed to be faithful. Now you are the epitome of unfaithfulness. And then he says, you, you were uh, filled with righteousness, but now you're filled with murder. Right? And he says, goes on and says that your silver has become dross. What does that mean? Well, silver, as you purify silver, you put it under heat, uh, you put it under the fire, and the dross is the impurities. And it's coming up to the top, and you will skim off the dross, and, and as you continue to do that, the silver and, or gold in both cases become more and more pure, right? And so silver is supposed to be this metal that doesn't have a lot of impurities in it. It's been, it's, they've been melted away. They've been, uh, they've been dealt with. But in, his, in this case, he says, you, you were supposed to be silver, and now you're nothing but the impurities. You're just the dross. That's all you are. And the dross is worthless. Nobody is going to pay anything for, for dross, he then says this, your best wine is mixed with water. Why would you do that, right? Like, that's the point, right? Like, you have wine, and you're not going to throw water into it because that ruins the wine. 
God, God's saying, now you're just watered down wine. You were pure, wonderful, great wine. You were the best wine, but now you're mixed with water. He says, your princes are rebels and companions and companion of thieves. Um, princes are not supposed to be rebels, right? Princes are supposed to toe the line. They're supposed to stay faithful to their, to their, their calling as leaders of the country and one day the king. And so he, he's making the point, right? Your princes who should be faithful, and we know that princes are humans, right? So they're not always faithful, but in this case, they're supposed to be, and they're not. He says they're rebels. They, they hang out. Their friends are thieves. And then he shows us kind of the outcome of, of all of this. He says everyone loves a bribe and everybody runs after gifts and they do not bring justice to the fatherless and to the widow Oh, the widow's cause does not come to them. So he's just showing us here that this is what you are. You, you were supposed to be faithful and you're not. You were supposed to be pure and you're not. You, you were supposed to be this great wine and now you're watered down. You, you, are, you are not what you should be. And as a result of that, here's where everybody's at. You're, you're going after bribes. You're chasing after things you shouldn't chase after. You don't care about justice for the orphan or the widow. And so God is saying you're... you're lives are measuring up to what you are. You are not what you should be, and it shows. And this is true for everyone who's outside of Jesus. Everyone, every one of us, when we were outside of Jesus, fit into this. And, and whenever we try to do our own thing apart from Jesus, this is the outcome. This is what happens. We stop living how we ought to live. We start living how we want to live, which always messes everything up. And so the, the, the point here is this, and I think it's important that we understand that if we don't appreciate um, how sinful we really are apart from Jesus and how much we've messed all this up without him by our rebellion and our refusal to do what's right, if we never come to grips with that, we're never going to fully appreciate what he's done for us. We, we just won't. Uh, we won't appreciate what Jesus does for us until we come to grips with how much we need him. And that's, that's the hardest thing. It really is. It's the hardest thing because most of us are not horrific, bad people. Most of us live or try to live decent lives and do decent things. But, but we have to understand that God doesn't measure purely by what we do, but by the motives of our hearts. And if we're really honest and put ourselves under the microscope, we have to say our motives are almost never what they should be if we're not motivated by Jesus. And so we're just looking at this, uh, this stark reality that we are supposed to be something and we are the absolute opposite of it. We, we are completely away from where we are, where we should be if we don't have Christ changing us. And so there's the point, right? Outside of the redeeming work of Jesus, outside of what he's done for us, we are not what we should be and we can never be what we should be. Now, there's another, there's really just two sections in this, in this chapter here. So we'll look at the second section. Then we got to, I want to take us to the New Testament and spend some good time there. Um, in Romans chapter 5, we'll kind of wrap it up with that. But let's look at the rest of chapter 1 here because we're seeing the, the outcome of what we should be 
And now we're going to see how God responds. God's going to tell us how he's responding. Uh, and so let's look at verse 24 through, um, really through the end of, of the chapter. But we'll, we'll stop in verse 27 just for uh, this moment here. So it says, Therefore the Lord declares, the Lord of hosts, the mighty one of Israel. He says, Ah, I will get relief from my enemies. And I will avenge myself on my foes. I will turn my hand against you. Now that's terrifying, right? <laughs> Here, like, listen to what he's, how he's calling him. So he's, the Lord of hosts, that's the Lord of armies. Like host is an is a army. Uh, and, and so he's got this power. He's mighty. He's not one to, to, be, to lose a fight. He's going to win. He's going to win his battles. He's always going to win. And so now he is telling us, I'm going to get relief from my enemies. And I'm going to avenge myself on my foes. And then it's not just generically those people, but he says, I will turn my hand against you. So he's, he's, here's the response of God uh, on, our, on our sin. It is, I'm going to judge it and I'm going to deal with it. And it's not going to be a pretty thing if something doesn't happen here. <laughs> but look at what happens next. This is great. He says, And I will smelt away your dross as with lye and remove all your alloy. And I will restore your judges as at the first and your counselors as at the beginning. And afterwards... You shall be called the city of righteousness, the faithful city. Zion shall be redeemed by justice and those in her who repent by righteousness. This is really amazing because God starts this thing out and it sounds really ominous. It sounds really terrifying. He's going, I'm going to have vengeance on my enemies. I'm going to get you I'm going to come for you. I'm going to turn my hand against you. But then he immediately turns and, and says, here's how I'm going to do that. I'm going to smelt away all the dross. Going back to that silver analogy. He says, you know what? I'm going to take you and I'm going to purify you. That's what you do. You smelt the, the metal, right? You, it's, smelt is a weird word, but it's, a, it's, it's there, right? So you're smelting this gold or silver and you're getting the dross and you're removing the dross. You're purifying it. God's saying, I'm going to turn my hand against you and I'm also going to completely clean you and purify you. I'm, I'm going to remove all your alloy. That's the impure metals within the silver. And he says, I'm going to restore your judges and I'm going to, Restore your counselors. And he says, after I'm done, once all this is done, afterward, you will be called the city of righteousness, the faithful city. That sounds like a great deal to me, right? Doesn't that sound like a great deal? Like here we, here we start off with, you're, you're this whore who should be faithful to me. You're this impure silver. You're this watered down wine. But guess what? I'm going to take all that and I'm going to deal with it, and I'm going to remove it from you, and I'm going to restore you to what you should be. And when I'm done, here's the outcome. You're going to be righteous. You're going to be faithful. 
that's an amazing deal. This sounded like it was going to be terrible. <laughs> it turned out it's going to be great for us. But, but how do we get there, right? That's the question. Is what, how is he going to do that? He doesn't, he doesn't show us too many of his cards right now. He's going to get there. As, as the book progresses, we're going to see more and more of this coming out. Uh, but, but here's what he's saying. He's just giving us the glimpse of hope that we need, that yeah, we're not what we should be, but God's response to that is not with complete condemnation, but rather with redemption, with, with the ability to save us from ourselves. And that's what verse 27 says. Zion shall be redeemed by justice. Okay, so redeemed by justice and those in her, in Zion, who repent will be redeemed by righteousness. Now, let's finish 28 through 31 um, because it is going to go kind of back here a little bit. And we're going to, he's kind of going back and forth on this. He says, but rebels and sinners shall be broken together and those who forsake the Lord shall be consumed for they shall be ashamed of the oaks that you desire, and you shall blush for the gardens that you have chosen. For you shall be like an oak whose leaf withers, and like a garden without water, and the strong shall become tender, and his work a spark, and both of them shall burn together with none to quench them. So he kind of goes back to this warning again. He, he's like kind of doing this, here's what you are, this is the warning for you, but I'm going to make you what you should be. But by the way, if you don't repent, here's the outcome. He's just, he's just doubling down. He's just reminding us again that, that without him, without his work of smelting the dross off of us, without his work of purifying us, without his work of making us righteous, this is the outcome of our lives. We are going to be broken. We're, we're going to be consumed. We're going to be ashamed. All these terrible things. We need to hear that. We need to understand that that's not the outcome that we'll receive if we repent, but it is the outcome if we continue to be rebellious and stick to our guns and refuse to turn. And there's a reason why God continues to deal with this back and forth, back and forth, because Isaiah is preaching to a people who do not want to hear this message. They are refusing to turn. He's giving them all of these glimpses of hope and yet they're just going to stick to where they're at and they're just going to continue to think if I just keep doing what I'm doing, it'll be fine. So God's saying, no, 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 it will not be fine if you keep doing what you're doing. There, there, There is hope in this, but there's also the reminder that there's a, the, the only condition on all of this, there's not, a, there's not a price that we have to pay, but there is a, a, uh, a co- confession and repentance that we have to bring to him. We've got to repent. We've got to turn. That's the whole thing of the Christian life. The entire Christian life is about repentance from our sins. And, and we need to hear that over and over again, that we've got to come back to him and, and say, listen, I've, I've failed, I've sinned. And, and there's always mercy in that. There's always grace in that, but, but there has to be acknowledgement. We have to walk transparently in the light so that we will have fellowship with one another and that the blood of Christ will cleanse us from all of our sin. So we're seeing this kind of back and forth. But what I want to highlight, what I really want to land on is just this middle section where, where God is saying to his people, 
here's, the, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to take you and I'm going to purify you. I, I'm going to remove all your impurities. I'm going to restore your judges and counselors. I'm going to make you faithful. The question is, how in the world does he do this for us? And we have the, the benefit of living on this side of Jesus Christ. So we don't have to look that hard to find the answers. Um, in, in Isaiah's day, this was all forthcoming. It was all something future. It was not immediate, uh, immediately answered for them. But we have the, the benefit of knowing what Jesus has done and how this has all worked. So there's, there's two key things here. Verse 27 highlights two important things. He says, we will be redeemed by justice and by righteousness. Okay, so justice and righteousness are the two big things that we've got to talk about. And here's the thing. Justice is uh, doing something that, you know, needs to be done to make something right. If something is wronged or hurt or harmed, justice is to restore that, to fix that. And, and in the criminal system, it's, it's simply you know, putting someone in prison if they do something that they shouldn't do. It's fining someone if they break the law. Uh, it's, it's right, we're, we're trying to make amends for the harm that we've caused. That's what justice is. So justice is about being paid or, or receiving punishment for the wrongs we do. Righteousness is about living upright in, in really in a perfect way. So if we're just purely looking at this and God says to us, here's how you're going to be redeemed. You're going to be redeemed by justice and by righteousness. If all of that's placed on us, if all that's on us, then what that means is that we're going to receive the justice, which we do not want to receive, and we're going to have to be the perfect people, which we cannot be. So here enters Jesus. This is the solution that we need. In Jesus, the justice and righteousness of God meet perfectly. In Jesus, they meet perfectly. And so if you flip over to Romans, uh, and if you're just using your Isaiah journal, you'll need another Bible here to get there. But Romans uh, chapter 5 uh, really lays all this out. It lays it all out. Um, so, so here's where we're going to start. We'll start in verse 6, and we'll work our way down to probably the end of the chapter, but we'll go quickly here. Um, what we're going to see in this is that Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of God's promise to bring justice and to, and to restore righteousness. So let's see what it says here. In verse 6, it says, For while we were still weak, that word weak doesn't mean like tired. It means uh, incapable of doing anything for ourselves. It's like being bedridden. You're, you're just, abs- there's no strength in you. So we have no strength to save ourselves. So at the right time, it says, Christ died for the ungodly, the unrighteous. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one will dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So God shows his love for you and me in that while we were still in our sin, not in righteousness, not in this great, great way of living, but in our sinful, rebellious attitudes, while we were still there, Christ died for us in that state. 
Jesus dies for us, not when we're at our best, but when we're at our worst. He, he comes to us in our greatest need. And, and it says, therefore, in verse 9, we have now been justified by his blood. Much more will we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. So he's just kind of laying out how all this works. Jesus dies for us in that way. God shows his love for us. Um, and, and in doing that, he removes God's wrath, which is God's judgment. That's another way to say judgment is God's anger uh, towards sin. That wrath of God is removed from us. It's placed upon Jesus Christ. And we are then turned from enemies into his children. We're reconciled to him by the death of Jesus. And we're not just reconciled, but we're also saved by him. Uh, we're saved from his judgment. And we rejoice in this. This is all that Paul's talking about, laying it all out there. But, here, but then as we continue to read, we'll actually just get to see it theologically how this all works. Look at verse 12. It says, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death came through sin... And so death spread to all men because all sinned. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, yet sin is not counted where there is no law. Now what he's saying there is this, that Adam is this one man that he's talking about. Uh, just this one man's sin uh, came into the world and death came to all of us. Here's why that happened. When Adam and Eve sinned, Adam was the representative of all humanity. Everyone who was living or would ever live, he represented them. He, he was like, he was humanity. In fact, that's what the word Adam means. It means man. So he's representing all of humanity. And in his failure, he plunged every one of his descendants into sin. And, and because of sin, death comes into the world. And so death spreads because of this one man's sin. And, and, and Paul's just saying, you know, this is, this is how it is, right? God is holding all of us accountable because of Adam. Now that might not sound fair to you, but then look at what he says next. Uh, in ver still in verse 12, he says, death spread to all men because all sinned. So it's not just like Adam is the sinner and the rest of us are these pure little angels. No, Adam's sin put a sin nature into us so that what we do is sin as well. So now we're not, we don't have excuses. It's not just that Adam's sin made us guilty, although it did, but Adam's sin led to us being sinners as well. So that's why we're guilty. We're guilty because we're sinners. All of us have sinned. And so everybody is a sinner. That's what it's saying here. And then verse 14, yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning is not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. So this is what Paul's saying. This is kind of, I know it might be a little complicated language here, but what he's saying is, is simply this, that Adam was basically a representative of humanity and he was a version of what Jesus would ultimately be. He was a type of what was to come. Adam failed and Jesus didn't fail. 
in Jesus, we all get a restart. And so that's where he goes, verse 15. He says, The free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. And the free gift is not like the result of the one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation. But the free gift following, uh, with the, let's see, yeah, but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. For if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. All right, so that's a little complex. Okay, I get that. But here's, let's just simplify it. We can make it real simple. Um, Adam failed. Jesus came to basically restart all of this and he didn't fail. He lived perfectly, righteously, without any sin. And, and yet because there was already sin to deal with, Jesus had to get, get all of that dealt with. So he goes to the cross in his, in his righteousness. He can die in our place, standing as a perfect sacrifice for sin. And as he dies for our sin, we are then given, bestowed uh, righteousness ourselves. We are given the righteousness of Jesus because he lived the perfect life. So we, we get to see um, that Adam's failure and our failure isn't the end of the story. That's what God is saying in Isaiah. It's not the end of the story. Yeah, we're sinners. Yeah, we have these, these things that are justly condemnable, are, are, are actually need to be dealt with. And yet, either we're going to pay for those or we're going to trust the one who did. That's the choice before us, right? We either take the punishment of our own sin or we lay our sins at the feet of the one who was punished on our behalf in our place. And G Paul is just kind of going on here and he's explaining that, um, that Adam's disobedience, verse 19, Adam's disobedience... Um, caused many to be made sinners. But one man's obedience, that's Jesus, many will be made righteous. So through Adam, we're all doomed. Through Jesus, we're, we're made right with God. That's, that's the whole thing. We get to see this amazing, uh, redeeming work of God for his people that he doesn't put the burden on ourselves. He doesn't put the burden on you. He puts the burden of all of this upon himself. That's why God became a man. Jesus is God in flesh. He's, he's the perfect God who became a, a member of his own created world. How crazy is that? It's amazing that God, outside of all of this, came into it, entered into it, lived in it, but lived perfectly the way Adam was supposed to live so that when the proper time came, he could die on the cross and pay for all the sins of all the human beings who had ever needed redemption and offer that redemption to us by faith. And so this is the point that Isaiah is trying to make to his people. It's, are you going to reach out your hand and receive the free gift? God's giving you glimpses of it in Isaiah. It's fulfilled totally in Jesus. But what the glimpses they're getting is should be enough for them to reach out and say, yeah, I want that. I want to be made the righteous, faithful 
person that I'm not. Paul tells us in Romans 5 that because of Jesus' righteousness, you get to be righteous. So there's where that righteous city, faithful city comes into play. We become what we aren't because Jesus became what we are. Jesus became what we are, lived perfectly in your place for your sins and died and then rose where he's alive today. He's ascended into heaven. He's all those things. But, but here's the beauty, that this promise of God's righteous city that he's going to create is going to happen as we trust in Jesus, as we lean into him, as we give all of our sin to him, as we continue to pursue that, uh, that by faith, that trust that Jesus did die and rise for me. Uh, so, so I know this is, this is pretty, you know, this is something you hear, at least at this church, every week pretty much. Um, but it's, it's true. The, the only way that we're going to actually begin to live practically the way that God wants us to live is by first embracing the righteousness that's offered to us through Jesus. And then, and only then, can we start to live the life that God wants us to live. And, and it's then that we'll see the transformation of our, of our hearts, of our church, of our, of our whole community as people who love Jesus continue to live out that love for Jesus that is not natural in us, but is given to us by grace. And so we talk about this a lot as, um, in our church as gospel doctrine, what we believe about the gospel leads to gospel culture how we live. And you're not, you can't flip those around. You, you have to see the full beauty of Jesus, believe in that, trust in that, give your heart to that, and, and then you'll begin to see the transforming work take place in your life. And that's what we see here in Romans 5 and what we're getting a glimpse of in Ephesians, uh, rather Isaiah uh, 1. And so I... I hope that that resonates in your heart. I hope that you will, one, experience the gratitude for God's saving grace in your life. That's one way we can respond to this. If you've trusted Jesus, continue to show gratitude to him because without him, where would you be? Where would I be? No, nowhere good, right? So we got to give all the glory to God for his mercy, though our sins are, are, are plentiful, he continually offers us mercy and, and help in our need consistently. It, it's, it's gratitude that should be produced in our hearts through these truths. Gratitude for a God who didn't leave us on our own to die in our sin, but made a way, in fact, moved heaven and earth to make a way for us to be right with him. So that's where some of us need to be today. We need to grow in our gratitude for him. And as we grow in that gratitude, we're also going to start to grow or, or lessen, lose the, the sense that we have to somehow save ourselves. We got to rest in his promises, rest in his, in his grace. But there's some of us in here who may just need to receive this to start with. Maybe you've been running and counting on your own good works to measure up to what they need to be. And I hope you've seen that it just isn't going to happen. It's just not going to happen. Left to our own devices, we're all, me and you, every one of us are doomed to just continue to perpetuate the sin that we've always, that we've always lived in. 
And so some of us need to take this moment to turn to Jesus, to hand him our sin, to trust him with it, to ask him to remove it from us so that we can live in his righteousness. And we just, we just have to call out to him for that. You just have to call out to him. You just have to ask him. He hears your thoughts. He hears your, the, the angst of your heart. He hears everything you say and think. And so we just have to ask. And that's perhaps for some of us where we have to turn. But regardless of, of where you are, um, we, we should all be able to, to sit back and thank Jesus for what he's done. So with that said, as we continue to, uh, to, to respond to him in this, we're going to sing some songs together, but we're also going to partake of the Lord's table. And, and we do this every week here at Springbrook Church. Um, and, and what we do at least three out of four Sundays or so um, we have stations, uh, communion stations set up. Uh, we have a couple in this room. We've got one back there and one here. And uh, what we ask you to do is just take the opportunity to be introspective, to give to Jesus the sin that you're harboring in your heart, to confess those things to him, to trust him that he's making you righteous because he died for you. And, and as you go to the table with that gratitude and that joy uh, for what he's done for you, we would just ask that you take a piece of bread and take a cup and be reminded of the fact that his body and his blood was shed so that you would not have to be under the just condemnation of God. That's the reminder that communion gives us, that we deserve the death that Jesus received. But because he received it, we don't have to. We get to live in, in mercy and grace and in his kindness. And that's something to celebrate. That's something to rejoice in. So anytime as you feel ready to go, you're welcome to get out of your seat and go to one of the tables. Um, and and uh, if you're not a believer in the room today, that's, you're welcome here and we're glad you're here. Uh, but that table is reserved for those who have trusted Jesus. So we would ask that you just refrain from that and and take this time to contemplate on your relationship with Jesus and where you are uh, in that. And so I'm going to pray for us, and I'll invite the, the band to come up and lead us in some songs, and then we'll partake of the Lord's table as you feel uh, ready to do that. Let's pray. Father, we, we thank you that though we uh, don't deserve any of this, you have freely and graciously given this to us in Jesus we thank you, God, that, that though we were rightly under condemnation, that you took that condemnation from us. We pray that we would never lose the wonder of that, the joy of that in our hearts, and that we would respond to you in, uh, in the ways that you want us to today. And we just lift all of these things to you. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, please stand. and we'll